Before thee let my cry come near, O Lord, true to thy word, teach me before thee. We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through His Word. Let my lips thy praise confess, yea, of thy word my tongue would sing, I'm going to read my text for you, and I know we've done a lot of praying, but I'm going to pray again because that's our custom at home to read the text and afterwards pray. And uh, so I'll do that. And then I have I have quite a bit to say to you today. Uh, so settle in. All right. First Corinthians chapter 12, verses 14 through 19 is is the text. You've already heard it in your reading today, but I want to read this specific part. And my message today, if I were going to give it a title, would be called Many Moving Parts. Can you guys say that with me? Many Moving Parts. All right. First Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 14, it says, For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, Because I am not the hand, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? And if the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set. Everybody say, God set. God set. Now hath God set the members of every one of them in the body as it hath pleased him. Everybody say, as it pleased him. As it pleased him. And if all were one member, then would it even be a body? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I am so thankful to be here with my family. I love the people of this church. They have been given to me as a gift, an encouragement by you, Lord. The trust that you have given me to steward. And Lord, over time, I have come to love them so much. And I pray, Lord, that as I know that you're speaking to me right now, Lord, I pray that you would just speak to them through me. Lord, that they would hear your words and, and not mine. That their hearts would be encouraged. That they would see how you see them today. And how you will see them in the future. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, I was trying to explain to your fine pastor that God talks to me. And anytime I have to explain this to anybody, Terry, I 
I almost feel like I should apologize. Like, like I, I know it sounds crazy, but God talks to me. And so sometimes I, I feel like I should defend that or I need to prove it or verify it. But the fact is, is God talks to me. That's my favorite part of being called to do what I do. Because I'm not particularly wise. If you were going to ask my advice on this or that or the other thing, I, I'm really not necessarily that. I'm not the guy to call about a lot of things. Okay. And so when wisdom comes out of me, I oftentimes sit by, sit by myself when I, after it's done and I go, Lord, you must love that Terry Willard. I never heard anything so wise in all my life. <laughs> like, I never even thought of that before. That kind of thing happens to me inside. And I'm not saying that after you get done talking to me, you're in awe. Wow, Mark, you know, he's, he's great. But I'm in awe of God in myself. Um, and as I stand here and I look at you, and I'm, I'm sort of, the reason I'm qualifying the fact that God is talking to me is I'm going to, I'm going to talk to you in a way that I had not planned to and about some things I hadn't planned to talk to you about at all. So I have all, I got pages here. I don't know if we'll get to them or not. But as I sat there and prayed and uh, read with you and, and you know, entered into worship through the, your liturgy, I began to see you, and, and I, I wanted you to know something. I wanted you to know that this church, that God has given me personally a love for it in a way that I don't think that maybe you can understand. Your names, uh, what goes on in your life, um, your difficulties, your celebrations, they are such a part of my life on a day-to-day -day basis. I've said this before, Kurt, and I know that you may find this to be interesting. I spend more time talking about and working on the people of this church than I do my own church at home on the phone. Now, in, in the real life and touching people and all that, that's different. But I spend more time, and you go, well, how is that even possible? You guys have a good pastor. I'm going to tell you that right now. He loves you. He prays for you. He thinks about you. And you know what he doesn't think? He doesn't think he's wise and he knows everything and he's got this. He doesn't call me on the phone and go, hey, you know, let me tell you what the situation is down here. Let me tell you what, we need to, what needs to get done and just I need you to back me up. If, if you think that your pastor calls like that, you don't know your pastor. He calls on the phone and he's like, brother, I just, I need God's help right now. I need you to help me. I, let's talk about this, you know. And, let's, and I'm thinking, he's calling again? He just called me 15 minutes ago. You know, we just went through Chick-fil-A together, you know, and I know everything he ordered, an extra pickle and the whole thing. And, and, and he's calling again, you know. And my wife's like, you talked to Matt again? Like, yeah, I talked to Matt again. And, and, and my, our family knows the names of the people in your church. And, and we know the names of the people in your church because we talk about you. We talk about what's happening in your life. And, and, you know, we talk about your girlfriend. And we talk about your job. And we talk about this thing. In your, we talk about these things. It's not just a, uh, you know, an assignment we got. We sort of got to get through. It's, this is what this man's calling is. And so he, if he didn't bring it to me like this, I wouldn't know you and love you like I do. 
he'll talk to me about, you know, the Wynn family, and he'll, you know, go on about this or about their thing with their house or about whatever and about their business. It, the, thing, the things that go on, I just don't think you understand. And I have, I was sitting here, and I'm going to tell you a story, okay, that I haven't thought of this story in a really long time, and my kids, they know, they've heard this before. They've heard this story about me, but it's, it sounds like it's not real, which a lot of the stories <laughs> about me did. But, but God gave me this picture, and I certainly had, didn't write this down, but, but this picture, and, and can you, you guys bear with me for just a little bit? Okay. Uh, I was a highly, highly, you know, our, our, church, our, our family was very deeply religious, and, and uh, uh, but, but, we, but there were some sports that went on in our family. But I was really bad at sports, okay? Now, I was good at certain things in sports. Like, if you needed somebody hit really hard, I could do that. But I can't catch a ball, okay? I have this vision problem thing. Like, if you throw a ball at me, I'm brave, and I will hold out my glove, but there's a chance it's going to hit me in the face. And, I, and I'm pretty sure that there's just about as much chance as it hitting me in the face as it is hitting the glove. But I want to play so bad, I'm willing to, you know, sort of take one for the team. So I walk down to this, right near my house is this set of ball diamonds, and uh, there's a football field, and it's not associated with the school. It's just this thing. It's like a neighborhood thing. You, do you guys have anything like that around here, you know? And so kids who can't make the team on the school thing, you can go down there, and you can just be anybody, and you can show up, you know? And I remember going, Steve, I, I was going to go, and I wanted to play baseball, which the last thing you want to do when you have no depth perception is baseball. But, but, but I wanted to play, and so my parents said, yeah, go ahead, whatever, you know, and I go down there, and there are hundreds of kids that have shown up, and they're there, and they start picking, and I won't draw this out too much, but they pick everybody into teams, the actual teams with names, named after, like, professional teams, right? And when all the coaches and all the teams were full, there was this group of kids left over, that didn't get picked. And I got, I, that's the team I was on, okay? And the guys who weren't supposed to be there as coaches, they, they were like going to just, they were like, hey, would you guys want to coach these guys? And so we had the worst coaches, and we were the worst team. We were the most ragtag group of people you ever saw. We never won any games, okay? And all the other, we would see, we, but our coaches would take us to the Dairy Queen after the game, even with we lost, you know, and the other teams wouldn't take them unless they would, you know. And our, we had our coach drink beer during the game. Uh, and this was back in the 70s, so you have to understand, this is a pretty rough character, you know. And, and, and we were just horrible, and I was really bad. I was probably, of the bad people on the team, I was the worst guy on the team. And so they were kind enough to me. I never, ever, I played like a whole season. I never got on base. I never hit the ball. I couldn't do it. I couldn't, I couldn't time the whole thing. It just, the, the eyesight, I couldn't do it. And I never kept count any balls, hardly ever, never. So they put me in right field, and they put me way out there in right field because they're, you know, the ball's never going to go there, and it, we're okay. But they still let me stay on the team. Wasn't that nice? Now, I could tell you a really, really super long, long, long story of this, but we lost, we lost, we lost, we lost, we lost. But over time, what happened is we became a team. And we, at the very end, like, we beat this team. It was the first time we ever beat any team ever. And as a result, we got to, we were in this double elimination thing or whatever, and we got lucky, and we played the team that was supposed to be the very best team. 
And we all knew we were going to get completely destroyed and there was no possible way we could ever win. And this is all sounds very fake. Almost sounds like the Bad News Bears, right? <laughs> but maybe they made it up for me. I don't know. So, so anyway, long story short, we, the way we won the game at the very end of this game, and we did, we beat these guys, uh, this huge guy named Norman Pauley, I remember, he was like twice the size of all the other kids. You guys ever seen it? It's like you, everyone's wondering, they'd like to see, his, is his birth certificate real? You know, like this, this is where the whole Obama birth certificate probably started thinking, like it was probably playing softball. Or something, you know? So they, anyway, he's twice the size of all the other kids. He hits the ball. And I'm out there. I'm not even paying any attention. It's the end of the game, whatever. And they're all yelling that the ball's coming, and I can't see it. And I hold my glove up in the air, and I literally fell on the ground. And then people jumped on me, and I thought they were beating me up for missing the ball. <laughs> but the ball had hit my glove, and I had caught the ball and won the game with the ball. The guy who never hit the ball, never... Never caught any ball. I, I caught the, isn't this sound like a completely made up story? <laughs> and they were grabbing me and throwing me up in the air and, 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 and whatever. And they signed the ball and I won the game. And that was a really great, it's a great story, right? Well, the problem is, you're all looking at me like, is he, is he just going to tell stories about himself when he's a kid? Maybe, I don't know. But, but as I'm sitting here praying, I'm remembering this story and I'm picturing you. Now, I, I, the, Get back to the text and think about it just for a second. God takes us, and I'm telling you, I, I, I know your names and I know your backgrounds and I know your cultures. And guys, if you were going, if someone were going to pick a team to be a really good church, this would not be it. This is you guys are ragtag, disjointed, different cultural backgrounds. You understand what I'm saying? This is not like, you know what, we're going we're gonna to rock the world. We're going to build a church. It's going to just level the powers of darkness. We're bringing in the big guns, you know. It would not be the Williners, okay? <laughs> right? You know, let's bring Clinton in, you know, and, and, or Quentin in. And, and you know what I'm saying? It's just, it's just we, we know that, right? Come on. I mean, you got some skills, but I mean, you know what I'm saying? You're not the guy. You know, Joe, I, he was telling me about how the whole Edgefield property came to pass. Now, I remember meeting Joe when he first came, and I remember he's really having a hard time walking, and, and you had called me on the phone and told me about him and his family, and he's out there and he's walking. And I, if I was going to pick somebody to answer the church's prayer about getting a building, I wouldn't have picked old Joe. I didn't know if Joe's going to make it back to next week, you know? But this is what God does. He takes us, and he does something not with us individually. This is what we want to do. We want to do something individual. We want to be great. We want to be the star. We want to be the answer to prayer. We want to be the one with the skills to make it happen. But God says, it doesn't work that way in the kingdom of God. Can we say amen? amen. God isn't looking for superstars. He's not looking for super strong and super smart and super wise. In fact, the Bible says that God doesn't pick them. So you see how this works with the analogy? God doesn't pick all the ones everyone thinks should be on the team. He picks the people that shouldn't be on the team. And you might be going, I think Pastor Mark is insulting all of us. <laughs> and you know, I am. I am insulting you because the Bible says the reason why God does this. See, an insult to us is glory to God. Do you, do you understand this? God is making fun of the powers of darkness... By picking you. Amen. 
picking you and bringing you together and causing something to happen in you that couldn't happen through the very best of the churches with the very best people. Have you ever heard someone say, I'd rather be with you than some of the best people in the world? You know, it's like, it's so, you're like it sounds good at first, but you're like, I think I was just insulted. <laughs> of all the people I'd rather be with, I'm glad I'm with you guys today, that kind of thing, you know. So God takes people who are a mess, who have been through difficulty, and he does something in them supernatural. And it's what God says. He says, because if the way that God... His kingdom is going to come, and His will is going to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Joe, you're not insulted by, by me yet. Oh, no. Okay, all right. I just want to make sure. I just want to make sure you're still with me, because your wife is smiling, but I can't see through your mustache. <laughs> the Bible says God takes the weak things of the world to confound the wisdom of the wise, that no flesh should glory in His presence. So the fact that that your flesh can't get glory. Like, I'm glad you guys can play beautiful instruments, and I'm glad you, you know, you've got your own lakes and ponds and, and big yards and all that kind of stuff. But guys, if you're really part of the kingdom of God, and if you're going to do something great, you should come to the realization that you've been picked because you weren't the best person to be picked on the team. And God says, I don't want any flesh to get glory. I want me to get glory. Only God is going to get glory. So as we, as we read our text here, and, and I was wanting to talk to you, I began to see the different parts of your church and how God has brought you together. I began to see what God is making this a church. A church that, that isn't known by its individual talents, but it's known by the, the lack of, uh, of individual, you know, explosion, excellent star power. But it's known by the fact that you can lose yourself into the greater thing, which is Christ's church. And in that, do something amazing. And I began to see, God is like showing me how like, like thread, he's knitting you together. Did you guys listen to that reading from, from Exodus? Now, you didn't know what I was going to talk about, but I did. And I'm just, I'm, 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 re, I'm hearing the Exodus reading and I'm just like, oh my goodness, Wow. Oh, man, this is incredible. You know, yeah, you're working over at the property over at Edgefield. That's not what I'm talking about. You know, building a building isn't the thing. The building that's being built, the holy habitation of God, is you. And people can get together and people can make lists and people can fix things. But what we can't do in our flesh, God does through the Spirit. He weaves us together into a tapestry. He takes us like lively stones, makes us into a building, and He takes us in individual parts that by themselves would be very weak and turns us into a body. That's what the magic is. That's what the spiritual power is all about. What I was going to talk to you about today was Gutenberg. Johann Gutenberg. And there was this neat thing that I saw when I was learning about the movable press. Okay, and I'm not gonna, I won't go, and I don't have time for that because I want to get to this, some other stuff. Okay, this is the prelude for the prelude, the prelude. Okay, all right. So, what I was gonna tell you about Gutenberg, and I will tell you, is that, that Gutenberg was not a preacher, Gutenberg was not a missionary. Gutenberg was not one of these super pious living men who did it all right that made people go, oh, if I could just be like him. Gutenberg was a businessman. But what Gutenberg did changed the whole world. He was a Christian. He went to his church. He did his bit. In fact, 
He did his bit in his church. Some people don't even know that after he invented the printing press, one of the first things he printed, Matt, was indulgences. <laughs> the very thing that Martin Luther would come and decry. He printed indulgences on his printing press for his church. They came to him and said, hey, we'd really like to get this. We'd really like to sell these indulgences. We need a way to mass produce them. And Gutenberg's like, I can help. You know, like Terry, I'll help. I'll put together a list. You know, so all oh, y'all make some indulgences. It's fantastic. And they're cranking them out. Not understanding that in the same sense that here he was, though, he was being a part of his church. He was doing the thing he could do for his church. Does that make any sense? He didn't have to be the doctor of theology. He didn't have to be the, you know, the preaching on Sunday. We don't even know anything about his life at all other than he invented this thing that changed the world. When Martin Luther came, if Gutenberg hadn't come before and did his bit and invented the movable type, when he nailed the 95 Thesis on, on the door Wittenberg Church, it wasn't even him. If the guy wouldn't have come along and taken it off and went down to the printing press and had it printed, there would be no Reformation. And when I saw this like this, I began to see, here we have inventors and we have people that, you know, that invested in his product. And we started seeing, and I was going to tell you all about it. It's pretty, to make the, just the first, the first print of the first six pages of the Bible, it took 100,000 handmade parts. 100,000 handmade parts to do the first six pages of a 42 line Bible. And I saw this. Well, you guys might be more like my baseball team than, than, than that press. I don't know. Because God is bringing into my mind this you, how God has brought you together. Okay? My computer decides it wants to restart right now. So I'm sorry about that. God has made us all different. Everybody say, God has made us all different. We have different roles. And if we didn't, we wouldn't be a body. And that's what the Bible says. If you didn't have different roles, you wouldn't be a body. Does that make any sense? Is that simple enough? If we didn't have different roles, we couldn't be a body. We could be an ear, we could be an eye, whatever, but we couldn't be a body. A body is a unique thing. And a body, you know, an ear is an incredible thing, right? You know, you can learn all about what an ear can do. But what an ear can do wouldn't be incredible if it wasn't part of a body. I mean, an ear that just sat in the back room somewhere wouldn't really be that impressive, right? But an ear on a body going somewhere is pretty neat. I mean, eyes are great, but imagine if an eyeball was just like just sitting there. I mean, it would be, it would be pointless. You would go, we'd talk about how amazing it is, but someone would, it would, someone would have to take it out of the cupboard and take it out so it could do its thing, right? As beautiful it is and amazing as it is, it in and of itself, by itself, not connected to, not submitted to, everybody submitted to. Submitted to. See, the, the big difficult thing is, is we don't want to submit to that. We don't like that. We'll get into that in just a second. We all can't be eyes. Some of us are the eyes of the church. We see things we tell the body about. We must learn to trust our eyes and understand their value, but we all can't be eyes, no matter how much we want to be. You may be Yourself, you know, you, 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 you are a part of the body of Christ. You don't like the part of the body. You are. Or you see someone else do it. You know, I should be the one doing that. Imagine if your body did that. You know, what if your ear was going, you know what? The eye gets all the glory. You know? And I'm just back here. I can't even move, you know? Like, unless the head moves me, I, I can't even 
do that. But the eye, I mean, he can do this, and he can do this, and he's incredible. Imagine, I mean, the absurdity of that. Could you imagine if your ear could talk what it would say, right? The problem here for us is that we do not, we hate to depend on anybody for anything in our flesh. How, how many love it when you have to just depend on all kinds of people? Come on. I know you don't like it. Nobody does. We don't like that. We don't like to, oh. We don't want to have to trust. Trusting those, and, and, and I'm telling you, this statement that I'm getting ready to say, this is, this is from God to you. Trusting those God has set in our lives is the essence of what it means to enter the kingdom. Okay? When we don't, when we can't, we, we are outside of the gates of the kingdom. Trusting God by trusting the other members of the body is how we lose our lives, lose ourselves, and it's how we find life in the kingdom. So many people, you know, they, they're like, oh, what part do I play? You know, I don't do anything. How many parts of your body, if they could talk, would actually think they don't do anything? There are things that don't appear to do much of anything until they're not there to do it. Right? Anybody ever, like, anybody ever break your toe? Okay, Joe lost his foot, right? And they had to put it on. Changed the whole thing, right? You, you probably didn't give a lot of thought about that foot, right? Before that. Every day you weren't thinking, you know, it's so much effort to put that weight on that. and to do. It was just doing it. And in fact, it probably thought it wasn't doing much of anything. And now you know that what it was doing was a lot, right? And oftentimes in the body of Christ, we don't even know what we do. You, your uh, denial that, you, that your, your false understanding that you don't do anything is just that. You're like, well, I don't do anything. I, I'm not really part of this. Yes, you are. If you are in Christ, God has put you, right? We read it. God has set you in the body as it has pleased. Do you guys remember? Did, did you read it? As it had pleased Him. See, this is not about a, you know... TJ's going to apply for a job as an eyeball, you know, like, you know, I really, I'm going to work my way up. I'm a kneecap right now. And hopefully one day when I grow up, I'm going to be an eyeball. God has sets us in the body as it pleases him, not as it pleases us, but as it pleases him. You ever try to do something you're just not called to do and you're trying, I have, I've tried to do a lot of times and I'm like, why is this so hard? Well, it's so hard because that's not what I'm supposed to be doing. I should do what God called me to do, what he's gifted me to do. And let other people do other things. Well, this is hard because I'd like to make sure it gets done right. So I want to do everything myself. And I end up messing it all up. Our differences are not just good. They are necessary. The Bible uses this word necessary. If you weren't different, you wouldn't be a body. And if you didn't have different roles, you wouldn't be a body. We need to be reminded in this world that we live in because the world we live in is a world that wants to do everything to conform us to being alike. We need to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit to help us resist this. We desperately need to lose ourselves. We need God's Spirit to help us so that we can find new life in the kingdom of God, which is the church, so that we can live. We're also insecure. We're so prone to mistrust. Isn't it hard to trust people? Yes. It is. Yes. It is. I was, I was in uh, Myanmar, and me and my good buddy Pastor Dan got in a fight. Got, just got in an outright, pretty bad 
argument. And I'm thinking, I'm a really long way away from home to be getting in a fight with a guy who's my interpreter. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he fired me from whatever. And, you know, we, we got into a full-blown real disagreement. And, of course, we're brothers in Christ, and we love each other, so we eventually worked it out. And the way that we worked it out, it was like 2 o'clock in the morning, and we're in this truck, and we're driving over this mountain, and I'm driving, and, and I had hit a rock and given us a flat tire, which he really thought if I was paying more close attention, we wouldn't have got. And, I mean, it was really getting bad, you know. And so we're quiet in the car, and he's over there, and he's like, you know, falling asleep, and there's people in the back, and we're in a very far away, very scary place, and... Out of the night, you know what comes? You know what comes out? He says, Pesama. He says, We have a saying in our country. Sometimes the teeth it bite the tongue. And I was like, Oh yeah. <laughs> he goes, Pastor we work so close together, doing good things together that if we did not hurt each other, then we would not be part of each other. And I was just like, Wow, like that's that's pretty insightful. And he was saying that us hurt. He said, "What if the tongue decided never to work with the teeth again?" He goes, "The body would starve. The body would go hungry. But they, the tongue needs the teeth, and the teeth need the tongue, and they must work together. They got to eat." And I begin to see this. You know, this is a, a, a bit. There's a lot of the body that needs each other, but there's a real obvious thing that was in front of my eyes. We do not want to be ruled by others. The last thing that we want to do is to lose ourselves in the bigger thing. To be just one part of something maybe that we can't really even see. But, you know, that's really what being in a body is. You, in a body, you, don't, you know, your backbone cannot see what's going on. You don't understand it. You can't see it. But the eyes do, and the eyes are going, Trust me! I know what's going on here. I recently got vertigo. You guys know what this is? You know? And it is when you're getting the wrong message that, that you're falling when you're really not falling. And so I've had to deal with the fact that I just know I must not be falling. But your body will make these adjustments even when you're not falling because you think you are. You're like, oh, whoa, you know. And, you'll, and, and, and it took me a while to learn to, to disregard, you know, and I banged on the wall and fell on the floor a few different times figure, trying to figure this out. But, but, but so, you know, and this is a, a case where trust actually wasn't working out. My brain was telling me, I'm falling and I wasn't falling and so I fell down. Okay? But being in Christ necessitates that we trust each other. So God gives you, uh, He gives you a husband, you know, He gives you uh, a father, He gives you a pastor, or, or He gives you elders in the church. These guys are not flawless. These guys aren't perfect. These guys are going, I can't believe that I have to do this. They're, they're, like, they're like people that have babies for the first time, and, and, and they're like, what do we do with this? Like, like they're going, you know, is, could somebody help me with this? Like, I don't know. It's, I've never heard. I've never, what is going on? Like, I, I, I thought I understood this, but I don't, you know. And they need help. And so when God puts you in the, the role that you're in, and you're given these, you've you, you got to grow in these things. And as God has been blessing your pastor, and your church, I've been seeing this church come together into a unified body that is something very impressive, very wonderful. You know, I, when I, I, you, I don't know if you're like me. I know you're like me a little bit, but you, every, every Sunday I get up and I look at my church, it's hard for me not to just like, like almost fall down because I'm smiling so big. I look out at the people in my congregation and I'm like, those are my people. 
You know, I remember when he got saved, and I remember when this happened, and I remember when their marriage was in trouble, but now they're teaching other people how to love each other. And I'm watching, and I, get, I revel in this. Do you do this, brother? And you look at the people, and, and, and if Pastor Matt is like me, he's going, God, you just, you just, you trusted me with this, and I, I, I can't do this very good. And God says, it's what I gave you to do. I will equip you to do it. This is not man's work. This is supernatural. And that's what Paul keeps telling us. Paul's telling us over, this is supernatural work. Supernatural. All right, we're going to go back to the text and we're going to work in it for just a little bit. And I'll try to do my best to get through it as I scroll past Gutenberg. If you start at the very beginning, which you heard in your reading, it says, now, concerning spiritual gifts. Everybody say spiritual gifts. I would not have you to be ignorant. The gift of losing yourself and and stopping being individuals and becoming part of a whole is a spiritual thing. It's not something that can be taught. You can't go to a conference to figure it out. It's something that comes by the Spirit of God. It helps us, okay? You know, we're not going to make a chart and go, okay, all right, the winds, you're the kidneys, uh, you know, uh, Allen family, you know, you're the heel or the, you know, whatever. So we're not making a chart. There's no learn. Oh, what do I do? How can I be the liver of the body? Like, there's nothing like that, okay? There's supernatural work involved where God is joining us together with, with what we are. And this living thing is being put together by God. Don't be ignorant of this. This is God's work. Okay? Verse 2, Know that you were Gentiles carried away by dumb idols even as you were led. I believe the Apostle is bringing this out because Gentiles, they go and they worship and they're in a, it's a purposeless thing. These are you know, dead pieces of wood or rock or whatever. He's saying, what is happening to you is real and it's spiritual and God is doing something in you that you don't even understand. Your life was led in meaningless worship of fake gods, but the true and living God has a plan for you. He's going to take your gifts and talents and He's going to make a holy dwelling place for God. The Scripture will say, Know you not that you are the temple. He's talking about you as a people. You know? You're working on this building. You're fixing different aspects of it. I hope that while you're doing it, you're remembering that just as that building has parts, the you know, the air conditioning and the doors and the roof that all do important things. Those things come together, though, to create a holy place of worship. And the holy place of worship that we should be most concerned about isn't a building. It's you. And, and if you're not lost in the church, if you're not connected into it, if you're, if, if you're not flowing like one joint to the next, you're not part of the kingdom of God. You're outside of it. <coughs> You can do a lot of good things. You can read, oh, I know this is how to be a good Christian. I know this is how to win souls. I know this is how to you know, disciple my family. You can do all that you want. You haven't made it into the kingdom of God. You get into the kingdom of God when you say, I'm going to take up my cross. I'm going to follow Him. He that saves his life shall lose it. But he that loses his life for my sake shall find it. It's a spiritual gift. It is a fruit and the evidence that the Spirit dwells in you. The Spirit is putting you in the place He has ordained for you. Verse 4, Now the diversities of the gifts, but there, but, but there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. Different is good and useful. There are different administrations, but the same Lord. Different operations, but the same God, which works all in all. It's going to look different in everyone. Every family, uh, you know, 
if, if, if you guys compare yourself and you go, my family's not like, you know, the Boucher family, or my family's not like the Willner family, or if you look at life like that and you look, you're going to miss it up. God isn't calling us to all be like each other. Amen. He's calling us to be the, you know, so you're going to be so de- definitely Willner, and that's going to be beautiful. That's going to be lovely. That's going to, and that's to be celebrated. You know, my son Nathaniel is not like me. Where's he at? He's not. And I used to think that because of it, I had to fix him. This was just sheer ignorance, you know. So I'm like, what is wrong with that boy? You know, I mean, when I, you know, and I, there were things I do that were instinctively natural in me. And I'm like, what is wrong with this kid? You know, I go to hand him a piece of firewood, and instead of grabbing it. You know, or knocking me over to get the next piece, he'll look at me for a second. I'm like, I want to hit him in the head with this log <laughs> until he gets his hand up. I'd see his mother like reach to hand him something, and he would stand there with his hands at his side. I'm like, I'm gonna kill that kid. <laughs> I raised him up. Now you know I'm old, my body, but we better get his hands out there. What's wrong with that cat? And I used to get angry, and I literally was inside. I'm like, what is wrong with this kid? Is he lazy? Does he not care about his mother? Is he inconsiderate? What is wrong with this kid? And someone gave me a book. And I read a book about how people are different. I'm, and I know this may just say, you, you guys are all educated, smart people. I'm just barely really stupid. And I read about how people are different and how they approach things different. And I got the, And it wasn't that he, you couldn't fix him. He doesn't need fixed. He's Nathaniel. He isn't Mark. He's going to be that. And that's all right. Now, that doesn't mean he shouldn't grab, grab the wood faster. But I learned how brains work and how they process information and all that. And this is all on a, on, on a physical level. But what I'm saying is, is that in the body of Christ, everyone isn't going to respond. To everyone isn't going to be you know, the guy doing that thing. And what happens is, is we're the guy doing that thing. We look back at everybody else and we go, you know what, they're not doing this thing I'm doing. <laughs> But in the body of Christ, everybody can't be doing the thing that you're doing. You're unique. If everyone were doing that thing, no one would be doing all the other things. You know? And, and so what happens is we start comparing ourselves amongst ourselves. We start wanting to be like them. Or when I, when I get really get spiritual, I'll be like brother so-and-so. Or when I'm really a, a godly woman, I'll be like, you know, this girl or that girl. That's what I'll be like. No, you won't. If you are, you're doing it wrong. It should come out of you and your life and your family uniquely different. That's why it says, there's, if, if you read this over and over, you'll see there's like a, it, it creates a variable that's even greater than our social security numbers variable. You know, there's differencing of gifts, but different operations. And if you, it breaks it all out that there's different ways that these are out. Different, it's going to look different. You, if you read this, it basically branches out that there's an unlimited amount of possibilities in every individual in the body of Christ. Verse 7, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. What that's saying is, is that, that what God has given Steve Boucher is going to profit the whole body. You know, we like to look at it like on a personal level, like how am I benefiting my wife or am I being a useful member of society? God is saying, no, no, no. Your, your, your value is measured in your benefit to the body of Christ. Am I bringing unity in the body of Christ? Am I bringing encouragement into the body of Christ? Am I bringing some skill into the body of Christ? Am I just bringing me? Maybe I'm just a big smile. Maybe that's all I am. But a man, a smile is a lot, right? You ever see someone without one? You're always worried about them. They're like, something wrong with those people. They're not smiling. 
I mean, you, the smile's a pretty important part of the body, but is it really important? I mean, we could probably do without that. I mean, what? But no, it's important. You meet someone and they smile, and you're like, oh, I know they, they, they must be happy to see me, you know? And so as insignificant and silly as something like that is, it's not. It makes up the whole thing. For one is given the Spirit, and he goes through word of wisdom, and he goes through different things, faith, miracles, and, you know, when we see these things, we can, we can get really, you know, systematic, you know, who are our miracle workers and all this kind of stuff. The point here is not the things that they're doing here. The point is that whatever God is doing, he's doing it not through one guy, but he's doing it through a, uh, something different than that one guy, which is the body of Christ. Verse 11, all these work together for that one self-same spirit, dividing to every man severally as he wills as God wills. It's not about what you want. It's about what God does. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. You know, you might not think that getting along is important, but wow, is it important? You know, God, what does God hate? Right? What's the Proverbs say? Six things that the Lord hate. Yes, the seventh is an abomination. What's this abomination? It's really just, it's, it, it almost doesn't sound that bad. I mean, you know, I understand hands that shed innocent blood, right? I understand that. But that's not the, that's not the seventh that's an abomination. It goes feet that do this and hands that do this and it's bad. But then it goes, but the seventh is an abomination to God. And at the end, you'd think it meant like, you know, roasting your children over a pit in some pagan God. That would be the one. But it's not. It says, the seventh, what? He that sows discord among the brethren. What, why, what is so important about that? Well, think about your body. I was thinking about this, and, and have you guys ever, ever seen someone like with, and, and apologize for my lack of medical knowledge. You guys get good medical knowledge. He can straighten you out, but I'm not, I'm not that guy. But I believe, have you ever seen someone like with multiple sclerosis? And, and their hand just does what their hand does, or, or, or they, they want to walk, but they just can't. Now, it's not because they don't want to. They, they, they can't control. Their body has kind of become what? It's out of control. There's discord in their body. It affects their whole body. Their body can't do it because what? Because this one part has become unruly. See, unity is where the magic, where the spiritual power comes in. You guys have seen this on a team. Right? You, they, you, they could put together all the great basketball stars in the world or football stars and put them on one team, and they play pretty good, but they don't play as good as a team plays. You get a team that's played together for a long time, and those people who know how to play like a team can kill these stars every single time. Why? Because they're not stars, they're a team. You know? in the body, and we've seen this in sports, but in, in the body of Christ, this is so much more critical. Unity and peace and, and love in the body is essential for the body to do anything. So he gets into that and he says, we need to have no schism in the body. We need to have no separate. But he goes on and as he, he talks about this in verse 13, he says, for by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. You'll hear this one body, one spirit, one purpose, one thing. And this one thing isn't the Williner family. It's not, you know, the Clark family or the Willard family or the Caulfield family. It's not that thing. That thing won't be here one day. One day there'll be no more, I'm sorry to say this, but one day there won't be any more coffins. 
one day, the, you know, some of the Caulfields down the line won't be able to have male children or whatever, and they'll just all go their way. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe. Who, who knows? He's looking at me like I'm really serious about this. Okay? <laughs> it can happen. Right? One day there won't be certain corporations. One day there won't be certain countries. But there will be a church, and the church is always going to be there. And I was doing a study, and this is actually a whole other sermon coming in from somewhere out of nowhere. But I was studying the body and the cells in the body, and there are like trillions of cells. But your whole body gets replaced every so often. You're everything. Everything in your whole body. Like if, if I meet you, I haven't seen you for five years, I come back, and they're like, you know, it's like you're a whole other person. Well, you are. <laughs> All those cells died and new ones came to replace it. But the thing that was you was there still. That's amazing to me. And that's a picture. That's how the church can be born 2,000 years ago. And the church is still marching through time conquering. Because people have lost their individuality and become a part of the whole thing. And the church, this living organism, is what is conquering in the earth. That's, what's, that's how you are doing these greater things. How could it be, Matt, that, God, that Christ said greater things are you going to do? How is that even possible? But if it wasn't possible, he wouldn't have said it. Because what he's going to do is he's going to take, I mean, the perfect man, better than that, he's going to take and do something more amazing with the church than he did with the perfect man Christ, God in the flesh. And it's going to be the Holy Spirit infilling millions of people throughout the earth, throughout time. And this being, being this living, growing, conquering thing. And see, when the Bible says to seek first the kingdom, we think it means... Do what's really right. We're not understanding that this kingdom is... That's what we have to lose ourselves into. The kingdom of God. We've got to understand that it will go on, but we won't. The bouchers might not go on. But the church of the living God will. The gates of hell will not prevail against that. Amen? Amen. And so we've got to have perspective. What are we building? What are we shooting for? And what the scripture is teaching us over and over is... Losing it is where you find it. Dying is how you live. But we just keep wanting to be stars and we want to do great things and we want to be super righteous and we want to be all that. It's like, that isn't it. That isn't it. If that were it, then flesh would get the glory. But flesh isn't getting any glory here. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were the hearing, where would be the smelling? 1 Corinthians Chapter 3 says, According to the grace of God which is given unto me, verses 10, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, another builds thereon, but let every man take heed how he builds. For one found, for other foundation can no man lay that is laid, which is Christ Jesus. If any man build upon the foundation of gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. There are people that do good things. But those things aren't connected to other things. They're not permanent. You know, we went all over Europe. We saw these beautiful, incredible structures. They're put together with precious things, you know. Wars come through, and they're still there. And God is saying, we got to be building like that as a church. God, God calls us to be built together. You know, one, the, um, the Puritan platform, I'm trying to think of the article, maybe it's called the... Is it the 29 Articles? I'm trying to remember. Is it called the 29 Articles? Is that what it's called? 29 Articles? It, it, says, it says the body of Christ is like so many piles of lumber and so many piles of stone until it is fit together into a building. And he goes, and then it's not a pile of lumber or stone anymore. It becomes something, something in itself. And that's what the church is. It's a, it's a neat description. 
He said, if any man's work abide, which he had built there, and he shall receive a word. But if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, as so by fire. Even so, it says in verse 16, know you not that you are the temple of God, that the Spirit of God dwells in you. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy. We take this to say we shouldn't do bad things to hurt our body and we should eat healthy. That's not what the Bible's talking about. How do you defile the body but by bringing discord? How do you defile the body but by being willful? How do you defile the body but by not losing yourself and becoming a part of what God is doing in the midst of your church and seeing that as the entrance into the kingdom rather than how good I can be? How good I can raise my children? Those things are all important, but that's not the most important thing. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seem to be wise in this world, let him be a fool that he may be wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, He taketh the wise in their own craftiness. The Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise, they are vain. Therefore let no man glory in men. But say, nobody glory in men. Not, not in your own pastor, not in yourself, not in anybody. You don't have to glory... We've got the, you know, we got the greatest this, or we got the most incredible what. You know what? We have the most incredible. We have the most incredible God. Mm-hmm. What we have, and we get together, and you know, somehow, you know, in the end, we catch the ball and we win the game, and we go, "How did it even happen?" And I'm telling you, that's how it's going to happen. How did it even happen? God built you into something. He knit you together, and He's doing that with love. And I'm seeing it in your church, and I just love it. And so when I see your faces and when I pray for you and when I think about you, I'm like, I'm like, I'm watching this thing grow. You know, I had this tree in front of my house and, and this is a, it's a gorgeous tree. It's a, it's a maple tree. It's like this big around. My kids get up in it and they, you know, they read in the tree. You know, I got a swing in it. I mean, it's a, it's, it's a picture, you know, but I never see the tree grow. I never see it getting any bigger. I never, it's just, it's just there. But surely as anything, every time the sun shines, every time it rains, it's growing, it's changing, it's there, you know. And this church is like that. You want to see something happen like that? We're going to run out and make it happen? What's wrong with you people? You need to get with the program. You're not working hard enough. you got to get... No, no, no. A tree just grows as the sun shines down. That's how God moves. God has taught us through nature that that's how He works. But we want instant tomatoes. We want instant crops. We want instant results. We want it all. And God says... You aren't even going to be able to see what I'm doing. It's just going to happen. And, and Matt, we do this in our church. I, I, after it's over, I'll go up to my wife and I'm like, one more Sunday. I'm like, the sun shone again today and the rain came and it grew and I didn't see it, but it's growing. And I'm watching this thing that was a mustard seed branch out and I'm watching it come to where birds can lodge and where something good is happening in it. But it happened and you look back and you say, how did this happen? And the answer today to how it happened is that the people in it stop thinking about themselves and they stop thinking about what they were or weren't doing and they started saying, how can I lose myself so that I can find life, so that the world can find life? It's the church that's going out and conquering. It is the spirit and the bride that says come and we go, well, that means me. No, no, no. This is the bride, not you. It's us. God is saving a church, a bride. He's not saving a robinette. I'm in it. And if I'm not in it, I'm not part of that salvation. 
If I'm not in it and I haven't lost myself and become part of the bigger thing, I miss it all. So my invitation to you is, is to stop thinking the way that we think that the world wants us to think. I was talking to this about Jonathan the, the other day. Galatians says, it says, could you henceforth stop it? <laughs> it says that we henceforth walk not like the Gentiles walk in the vanity of their minds. It means they're stupid. Okay? It says they're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. I mean, you talk about a condemnation of the Gentiles. And what do we do? We walk like them. We live like them. We want their approval. We want them to think we got something good going on, but they're blind. So how should we walk? We need to walk in such a way that says, you know what? God's will be done in me. Whatever that means I am, whatever that means I, I do. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring peace and unity and beauty. And I don't have to do anything great. You know, you don't have to do anything great. Just come. Just be together. Just love each other. And work these, you know how the Bible says we should seek to work a quiet and a peaceable life before all men. What is this about? Because let me tell you what's happening. The body of Christ is growing. And it's gaining strength. And it's marching through the earth. And it's conquering. And how is it doing that? It's doing it because, you know, Drew went wild and he conquered all the demons of hell and he ripped all the people out of the ungodliness and he drug them into Foothills Assembly and we all throw a party. Wow! No, that's not why it's going to happen. Is, is, that, is that what's going to happen? It'll, it'll be because, you know, what, were you playing an instrument a little earlier? What was it? Was it a cello or violin? violin? It'll be because he came to church and because he played his violin. This is, what, this, is what, this is the thing in heaven we're going to be shocked about. Like It's going to become because Anna did her hair. And she put on a little you know, church outfit. And she came and she held a baby. And people are going to be like, what, what? What? The powers of darkness? Satan? The one who raged about? And, and you, know, you know, fire? You know, I don't know what he looks like. You know, but we imagine fire breathing from him with giant red horns or whatever. You know, these imaginaries we have. This Satan, how was he conquered? Nessa had a bow put in her hair. And she came to church. And her father reached over and he smoothed their little skin. And, they, and then, you know what? They did it again the next week. And they sang these little songs. I am telling you, that is how the world will be conquered. We want to conquer it like this. Mm. And God says, no, we conquer it like this. Mm. We love each other. When when the apostle was leading, he's dealing in 1 Corinthians with the order of the church and the problems and the difficulty. He, he, He lines it up. With a big old bat in in First uh, Corinthians thirteen, and he goes, don't, "Don't you understand? Do you know you could give your body to be burned? You could you could move mountains with your faith. You could do all this stuff, but you haven't done anything." He was speaking against the desire of the individual to go out and just do it all himself because you can't do it. I've learned this the hard way. God will kill you. If you are the one who holds it up, if you are like Atlas and you're holding it all up in your church and you're holding it all up everywhere, then God will just let it crush you. Because you can't do that. That's not what what Christianity is. It's the sum total of our weakness. 
It is not our individual greatness. We lament about our piety and our wisdom and all that, and God goes, that's actually what I'm shooting for. You, the, you know, last night they were talking about different kings, and, and I couldn't remember which one was what, and when Jeremiah, and I'm thinking, you know, I've studied the Word of God my whole life. I'm pathetic. I don't even remember if Jeremiah and Isaiah were cousins or aunts and uncles or Daniel was their neighbor. You know, I'm, I'm, getting, I'm, I'm overdoing it. I'm speaking a more hyperbole. But I couldn't remember something, and I just felt stupid. I'm, I'm sitting there, and I'm going, it's my whole life. I study and love the Word of God, and I can't remember this. That's all right. It's all right, it's all right if you're not the best mom. It's all right if you're not the best homeschooler. It's all right. God isn't looking for greatness. He's looking for willingness. In this, our reading from Exodus, I just loved it. This word just kept popping out, man. And it says, and those that were willing, those that were willing brought. And those that were willing brought. And God filled their hearts with the desire to do this. And those that were willing did this. And it says, and, said, and then they gave a free will offering. Did you guys notice this? Were you hearing these words? It was willing, willing, willing. You know, God isn't going to make you do this. But you know, you say, well, I don't have that willing heart. So I'll bring you to this. If you don't have the willing heart, if you don't see, you know what? Why don't we ask God for it? God, I want a willing heart. That if I'm bringing the purple, I just have the purple. I'm going to bring the purple. It's not really much. Oh, it is. Because purple's part of the pattern. Oh, yeah, but it's a little part. Oh, but it's still part of the pattern. Those that were willing. I love that picture. Those that could do this, those that could do this. And they're bringing it together. Because this tapestry that God made that was a literal tapestry is what he's doing with you. We're all bringing our part. And losing ourselves in that, this thing that God makes, we'll just, it will, we'll marvel at it. We want to be great. We really, really do. But that's just because we're messed up. But once we realize that it's Him who is great, it's what He is doing that's great, that it's His salvation that is great, then we'll understand. One thing I was going to tell you about Gutenberg, and I'll kind of end up with this, is he said, he said, give me 23 soldiers of lead, and I will change the world. And what he meant was 23 letters that do what I tell them to do that line up the way I tell them to line up and I can change the whole wide world. How many of you want to be a soldier that does what it's supposed to do? You know, the printing press is only as good as the guy who's setting it up, right? And you know what? God sets it up. He sets it up by the people He puts in our lives. He sets it up in the order that He has made. He puts weak men to be fathers and they feel like they maybe other people could be better fathers, but nobody could be, ever be a better Father than you to these children. He made you for them. And you go, I really wish they had a better dad. I, it, it, if you don't think that, I do. I know I do. I just go, man, I wish my kids had a better dad. And it's like, no, you're the dad I made for them. You're fit for them. And God's brought you here. And you're here because you have something to give this church. Give it. Give it willingly. Submit to what is happening and see God work in you instead of try to be so great. Does that make any sense? That's the message I have for you today. That wasn't really what I planned to preach, but it's what I saw as I was praying for you. And God is pleased with your church. He is pleased. He's, this Things are going the way 
that he likes. He likes it when people work together and love each other and chip in and lose themselves. And I see that happening here. If that's not happening in your heart, say, God, give me a willing heart. Give me a submissive heart. Let me be a peacemaker, not a warmonger. Lord, go to war against me. Crush me, Lord, if necessary. I don't want to be in the way of the whole body. God hates discord. Let's, let's pray for unity and peace and little things, not the big ones. Lord God, I'm so thankful, Lord, for each and every one of the folks that have gathered here today. Lord, I know how much you love them. As Brother Matt was talking earlier about you not needing us, I know that you don't need us in the sense that without us, you couldn't do things. But Lord, I'm thankful that in another sense, you do need us. Not because of your lack, but because you have chosen to use us to use the weak things of the world to confound the wisdom of the wise that you love us that you allow us to be a part of this great and mighty work and it is as gift a great a gift to us as our own salvation that we will have part in the salvation of the whole world oh lord let us lose ourselves in that today as we enter the kingdom as your will is done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.